If the imperative in the Gospels during the season of Advent is to keep awake, and then right at Christmas, the imperative is do not be afraid, then we find the imperative in this Christmas season to be get up. Twice the angel says it to Joseph, get up. And twice Joseph gets up. In the first part where the angel tells Joseph to flee to Egypt, this is after the wise men had visited the baby Jesus, who was probably about the age of Aaron. Not an infant any longer, but somewhere under two years old. And when the wise men did not return to King Herod to inform him of where they found the Messiah, the king took matters into his own hands. And that is when he decided to have all the children that were under two years old, all the male children, to be killed. That's the slaughter of the innocents that we hear about in scripture. So Joseph was warned in a dream to get up, to get up and to go to Egypt, and he did. It's good to be reminded of the challenges that we find ourselves in in the days after Christmas. At about this time in our shared life together, we're taking things down in our homes, right? The decorations, finally putting things away. And maybe we're inclined during this time to a time of nostalgia, remembering what the days past brought, whether it be in food or in family or in friendship. And we enjoy remembering what it was that transpired and took place at Christmas. And we might be challenged to forget that these days following the actual Christmas day are not so much about nostalgia as they are about action. Christ has come into our midst. The Savior has come. And now it's time to do something. Get up, were the words said to Joseph. Because that baby was in their lives, it changed everything for them. And they found themselves relocating to a different place in order to respond to the gift that had been given to them. This week I heard on the radio a news program on NPR, an interview with a man who's a scientist. And it was very fun for me to hear him interviewed. I don't remember the book that he has recently written, but undoubtedly he was on the circuit because he referred to his book that he had written and why it is that he was so excited about his book and why everyone should buy his book and even said it straight out. You know, everyone should buy my book because one of the things that I liked so much about him is his enthusiasm for science. And he said at least once, if not twice, this will change the world. I believe that science will change the world. And I was endeared to this man, just listening to him on the radio. I said, I thought to myself, that's what I say. I just say it about the gospel. But I say it with all the passion, all the enthusiasm that this man says it. And I don't know if this man was aware of the microphone or if the microphone just adjusts, but there were a couple of times where the, the adjustment of the microphone to his volume, you know, it calibrated because he was so excited about what he had to share in his book that it would change the world. Thank goodness the microphone adjusted, otherwise our ears would have been pierced. 
Indeed, he believed that it would change the world. And at the, time, at the end of his interview, right when they're trying to sum it up and the interviewer is saying, we've only got one more minute, he, he hurriedly says into the a microphone, I just want to give a thank you to my editor. And I'll tell you why. I'm especially grateful to him. He said, my editor told me that the reason he took on this book was because I am convinced that science will change the world. And I loved the scientist for his conviction. I too believe that there is something that will change the world. And you've heard it from me week in and out, that it's Jesus the Christ that changes the world. I don't have a bone to pick with the scientist, and he and I would probably be in alignment if, if what I heard on the interview is any indication of what the rest of the book is about. He and I would probably be in alignment about our passions. But the per difference between the two of us is that the thing that I credit with changing the world is a relationship. Christianity is the only religion that emphasizes a personal relationship. Some religions do emphasize a relationship of the divine with the created order. And often it's in a collective sense that all of this collectively is what the divine has a relationship with. But in Christianity, it is unique because the divine has a relationship with each one of us. Each one of us has a relationship with the divine. We see it in scripture. We see it throughout history. And that is what changes the world. That's what makes all the difference, is because of our ability to be in relationship with one who thought it worthy to be in relationship with us. We respond to the one who found us valuable enough to be in relationship with us. God started it. God started this relationship and invites us into relationship with him or her, it, God. That's what we see in our gospel story this morning. And we've seen it throughout the scriptures. I'm glad for the truth of this because life is big. And often we set out on these endeavors of living, not knowing the full way forward. And we can't do it by ourselves. In a few minutes, we will invite Aaron and Peyton into this body through their baptism. And the parents will answer, and we will answer as a community, that we will do our best to help these children grow into the full stature of Christ, help them live into what it is that God has to offer them in a relationship with him. And our answer tells it all. We say, I will with God's help. I will with God's help. We cannot do this by ourselves. We cannot set out on the fullness of what life has to offer us in receiving it all just by our own strength. I was talking with a friend yesterday about some of what is going to happen in my life in the next few months. And when we were on a particular topic, she said, Oh my goodness, Whitney, you have that going on this spring too? And I said to my friend, I have about six sentences that start with the words, oh my goodness. There is a lot of oh my goodness in this year for me. And I could be overwhelmed by it. And indeed, there are moments that I am. In fact, the other day, I got up to pray my oh my goodnesses. 
I thought, how am I going to do this? I can only see the starting place. And what if days or weeks or months into it, I realize this is too deep for me? I can't see the end point. What if the success of this relies on others, not just on my own strength or vision or clarity? I can't coordinate that. I indeed had to pray my oh my goodnesses because that is what life is for me this year and maybe you have some of that too. I have a feeling that that's what Joseph had as well. Oh my goodness. We have been given this child. Now what? Fleeing to Egypt had an indefinite time frame. Now what? We are promised through the scriptures, we know through the stories that God is with us and that is how it works. That is how the world has changed. As we remember that God is with us throughout it all and allow God to be with us throughout it all, we begin to see God's work throughout it all. We don't have any scientific evidence for this, but we have a lot of anecdotal evidence for this. Thousands of years, across cultures and time frames, across genders and inclinations, whatever it might be, across socioeconomic barriers, we have story after story after story about how it is that because of God in Christ, our lives have been changed. And through that, the world has been changed. Amen.